Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I read a, uh, a, a meme the other day, really just a quote, that said this, that there is no app out there that can replace a child sitting on a parent's lap reading. And I don't know about you, but man, when my kids, I love reading to my kids. I, I, love, I love spending time in story time. We read the Bible, but we also read a thousand other books. The Hungry Caterpillar, I love that thing. It's like the story of my life, right? <laughs> like something happened, anyway, after college, anyway. I love The Hungry Caterpillar. I, I, love, I love Goodnight Moon. I don't know if you've ever read that one, but that is the weirdest book ever. And, and I just love reading to my kids. I think it's gonna mess them up a little bit. I think it's good and healthy. But one of our favorite books of all time since they were kids is The Zoo's Who's. Has anybody seen this book? Let me tell you what's really troubling about this book. Ready? The elephant's trunk, it is its nose, it stretches right down to its toes. Can you touch its big gray ear? Better be quick, she might hear. The steamer's stripes are black and white. When he sees a lion, he gets a fright. He lives upon the, the grassy plains and not much, not much, a lot of sun, but not much rain. You know what's sad? I know the whole thing. <laughs> it is burned. In my memory, here, here's my favorite. The hairy lion loves to roam on the grassy plain that is his home. It, it is ridiculous. I know the whole thing. And it's not just this one. The hungry caterpillar, I've got it memorized. Good night, moon is stuck in my head. Baby shark is seared into my soul. And I, know, I just don't know what's happened. Anyway, I want to say this. We love this book. And we still read it, even when my daughters, they're, they're six and they're four and they're getting older, we still read this together. And, uh, and one of the things that I love is that this book is great. But for my kids, this book doesn't quite have the answers to life, right? It tells me about lizards and about leopards and elephants and zebras. But you know, when my, my Nana died a few years ago and, and Avery stood with me alongside of her casket, this book didn't quite answer all the questions she had about God and about death and about what happens after someone dies. You know, when, when I've, we've spent a lot of times with Chloe and tests and hospitals and, sh and Shriners and children's hospitals all around. And, and what's amazing is this book's really good before you go to bed, but, but it really doesn't offer a whole lot of peace and comfort when you go through times like that. This book wasn't supposed to. That's not why this book was written. And although books are important and we read a ton to our kids, this morning we come together and, and we ask this question. And a very important question in the life of our church is, is why this book? Why this book? Above all other books, why this book? You see, we've started a series called We Are Connect Church, answering the why behind what we do in hopes to excite and to encourage you and I to ask the question, how can we be involved in what God is doing in the life of his church? And as we've studied this in week one, we asked the question, why church? Why gather together? Why come together collectively? Right, we begin to understand through passages like Hebrews chapter 10 that we found out that, that gathering together, assembling ourselves together is not an option for the believer, but rather a, a matter of obedience. Not a have to, but a, a get to obedience for the believer. In fact, as we read Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, we begin to, to understand this. Watch as the author of Hebrews writes to a group of Christians who are going through it. 
In fact, what we understand is there was a large number of Jews who were converting to Christianity. And when they would convert to Christianity and they would begin to meet in the church, their families would begin to disown them and their communities would outcast them. And so what we find the author of Hebrews doing is writing to those Christians and saying this, and let us not consider, and let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It was this challenge for the church. Hey, listen, don't abandon the church. Don't abandon Christ. When things get tough, but stay the course. And so we understand that meeting together is an incredible joy for the believer. And here's how we framed it up. That God created us from community. That God created us for community. And that God saved us to community that is his church. Oh, wait, too, we asked this question. Was that all that God wants us to do? It's just to show up just to exist in the life of this church. And, and as we read passages like Hebrews chapter 10, we found out this understanding, this idea. that no, because saved people serve people. That really the church is you and I getting our hands messy in the lives of one another in order to see people come to faith and trust in Jesus and to see people made whole in Jesus Christ. Saved people serve people. And last week, we looked at while we sing. 20, 30 minutes of this service is dedicated to singing, so why do we sing? And we framed up our conversation this way, that, that worship is not just a moment, but it's a mosaic of moments. It's many moments throughout every day for the believer. But we focused in on one such moment, and that was singing. And here's what we understood from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. You ready? That there's something whereby which the character of God can be revealed, the doctrine of God can be reinforced, the joy of Jesus reiterated, all by the child of God rejoices. And Colossians 3, 16 says one such avenue is through singing. And so we learned a whole lot last week about what it is to sing and why we sing collectively and individually. I bet you there was a whole lot more singing this past week than there's been in a long time coming from the life of our church, which is such a good thing. And so this week in our time together, we come together and ask the question, why this book? In Hebrews chapter 10, you know what was amazing? As the church would meet together, there was something they both celebrated and something that was central to all of their meeting times together. And that's something that was celebrated, that, that very thing that was central to their meeting time was the very word of God and the teaching of the apostles. But why is this so important for us? You ready? Here's something I wanna frame up our conversation with today. Why this book? And here's a statement, and we're gonna unpack this together today. Because we understand this, the Bible is reliable, it is real. It is redemption story. It's the story of a humanity who had gone and rebelled against God and yet God was restoring his relationship with them. The Bible is reliable and here's the reason why. Because Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. Because Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. You're like, Anthony, what are you talking about? Promise you that you and I are gonna get there Listen to this song. You ever sung this song with your kids? Now, if you weren't raised in church, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know this song. But, but ever since then, I, I sing with my kids, the B-I-B-L-E. Y'all better sing this with me. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible, right? And you scream it out, it's really cool. And I love that song. And we sing that song absolutely all the time. But here's the sad reality. The majority of the American church, 
That is as deep as our understanding goes of what the Bible is. We really don't know much more of why we believe it or why we call it uh, the, the word of God. And the truth is we don't understand why it really plays an important role in our faith. But hear me, the Bible is rationally, intellectually, historically, and evidentiary truth. And there's a great way that you and I over the next couple of weeks are going to open it up and see this incredible miracle that sits before us in the very word of God. I love this, a, re a recent Barna research survey from Lifeway says this, that 87% of the households in America have a Bible. Now listen, I'd ask that question here, but I think we're gonna get close to 100% of the homes here have some form or a copy of the word of God in their house. But here's the startling truth, only 36% of those who have a Bible in their home believe the Bible to be true. Think, think of that. Only 36% of those who actually have a Bible believe that the Bible that sits in their home is actually true. And this is a, this is a devastating statistic that is destroying the fabric of faith in, in America. And the question is, is as a church, then what are we gonna do about it? You know what we're gonna do for the next two weeks? We're gonna answer the question, why this Bible? Why this book? Why is it so important to us and see the glory that is found in it? I love this in um, 1 Peter chapter three. Peter's writing to a group of persecuted believers in what's present day Asia Minor. And he's writing to encourage them. They're, they're going through some great suffering. And he says this, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Hey, hey, by the way, before we can ever defend any aspect of our faith, this is an important part of the conversation. That first, man, set apart Jesus as Lord of your heart. Have you done that today? Is he the Lord of your heart and your life? And it says this, and always be ready to give a defense. Now, now notice that word defense. In the Greek, the word's apologia. It's where we get the word apologetics. And literally it means a defense of. And Peter says this, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. You ever had anybody ask you why you believe the Bible? Why, why, why is it that you really believe it's the word of God? I get this question all the time. And this morning, I, I want to give you a biblical apologetic, a, a way that you can answer this question to a world who's asking questions of Jesus. Does he really work? Is Jesus really worth it? And we know the answer absolutely. But here's a biblical apologetic for us today. Now, I want to give a caveat. In the next 30 to 35 minutes, there's no way that I could exhaust the apologetics of the word of God. I have a couple of degrees and honestly, I could, I could take you from now until the sun goes down and meet with you again tomorrow morning and spend from sun up to sundown and throughout the rest of this week talking the incredible miracle wonder of the word of God. But today I want us to look and focus in on, on one of the great apologetics. The reason why, if anybody asks me, Anthony, why is it that you believe the Bible is the very word of God? And I want to share that with you. Now, I also want to say this, while it's important that you and I understand what we believe and why we believe it about the Bible, I want you to listen to Charles Spurgeon's quote here. Watch this. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Isn't that good? You don't have to defend a lion. But here's the truth we know. 
that you and I ought to come together, understand the miracle of the Bible so we can let it loose and we can unleash it in the lives of our families, in the lives of our community, and in the lives of those around the world. So let's talk about why this book. You ever, under, you ever know where we get the name Bible from? In the Greek, it's, it's the word biblia, it means books. And, and that's where we get the name Bible in and of itself from. These are, these are the books that contain the very word of God. You know, I've been asked many times, why is the Bible different than any other religious book, the Quran or any of the, the writings of various religious leaders throughout antiquity? Or why do I believe that the Bible's the word of God? And here's what I share with them, ready? I, I wanna share this with you. That the Bible is a compilation. Let me see. Well, that's the wrong remote. I almost turned TV off. Let's watch this. You ready? That the Bible is a compilation of 66 different books written over a period of over 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors from some 14 countries that span across three different continents. Now watch this. The authors range from shepherds to fishermen, from soldiers to governors to kings. They come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different times of history. And here's the point, you ready? And all these come together to comprise the, un, the, un, the unified, inspired, infallible, and the incredible word and story of God. The incredible word and story of God. Now, now listen, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, is fundamentally truth. But when a world asks the question of why you believe the Bible to be true, an answer like this engages and challenges their hearts and their minds. As you got, you got 66 books, 39 old, 27 new. Over 1,500 years from 40 different authors, 14 countries spanning across three continents. From every background in time and culture and history you can think of. And together they come together and all these books comprise a word that is inspired. It is infallible. It is a word that is absolutely at its core incredible. An incredible miracle of antiquity. And every time you hold the Bible in your hand, every time you open that app and you swipe up and down on the Bible, you are holding an absolute miracle. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said this in the book, every Christian, what every Christian ought to know. Adrian Rogers says that uh, about the unity of the word of God, the Bible has one theme and that's redemption. The Bible has one hero, that's Jesus. The Bible has one vil villain, the devil. The Bible has one purpose, the glory of God. The unity of the Bible, Adrian Rogers says, is nothing short of a miracle. And here's what we find and what studies are showing. But yet it is a miracle that is often neglected by the church, especially in America. Now, as I read various quotes and, and various statistics, I, I want you to know I've studied a lot of great pastors, a lot of great authors. In the next two weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna glean from a lot of what they've understood. But I want us to dive first into what tends to be some of the very reasons why, why Christians will say it. And this is honestly, I'm not talking about a world that, that is lost and apart from Christ, but when I've, I've engaged personally one-on-one -on -one with Christians, here are the top three responses on why people don't read their Bible. Why people don't memorize the Bible. Why the Bible's not an important part of their everyday. And do you know, surprisingly, one of the biggest reasons is, as I hear people say, is because there's contradictions in the Bible that they don't know what to do with. So they just throw up their hands. There's just contradictions all over the word of God. And sadly, that is, that is that's fake news. That's, that's far from the truth. 
That's not the reality. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, when facing possible contradictions, it is of the highest importance to remember that two statements may differ from each other without being contradictory. Listen to this. Some fail to make the distinction between contradiction and difference. A parent's, now listen to what Billy Graham says. Apparent contradictions upon further investigation in the Bible aren't actual contradictions, just mere differences in account. Can I give you an example? Matthew chapter 25, verse 7, the Bible says that Judas hung himself. He betrayed Jesus, and he had when he killed himself. Now we find in Acts chapter one, verse 18, that Luke, as he's writing to Theophilus, says this, that Judas's death came about from falling to the ground and his body bursting open. You go, hey, listen, for years people say, hey, look at the contradiction there. Until you recognize that what we find here is not a contradiction at all, rather a differing in stories. Here's Luke, a doctor, writing to Theophilus, and he's explaining the aftermath of what took place after Judas had hung himself on a tree. And here's what we found, you ready? That as Judas had hung himself between the bacteria in his gut, a body that was decomposing, the hot Jerusalem sun, and a bloated body because of fluid and a compromised skin. When the rope or the branch broke that Judas was hanging from, his body hit the ground. And all of a sudden, Acts 118's story is the aftermath of what took place. You see, we, we don't find a contradiction. We find a difference in accounts. Now, I want to share with you a great quote that I've heard throughout the years. Listen to this. Men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. We don't, we don't say, oh, there's just contradiction. I don't want anything to, we don't do it because it contradicts itself because at times the word of God contradicts our lives. What we believe is the ultimate end of our happiness and, and our pursuit. Now I'm gonna tell you that passage right there absolutely just kind of kicks you in the gut. That thought line. That sometimes we shy away from the Bible because we're afraid. And if we read it, that it's gonna contradict our happiness in our life, and, and we, just, we just back away from it. Uh, other people will say this, the reason why the Bible's not central is because I, I can't understand it. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you, I've got a couple of degrees in this book, and, and there are some difficult passages, but I wanna say this to you. Never in the history of the world has more access and study and commentaries been available to the masses as it is today. Th through the miracle that is the internet, you and I can access commentaries and studies and writings on every passage of scripture tenfold in the word of God. We have access to be able to understand its culture and its context. Never before in history have we had that, but never before in any culture has the Bible gone so much neglected. And we have to ask why? People say, I just can't understand. Now, I love what Sir Korkegaard said. He said this, the Bible is very easy to understand Listen, these are, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be able to under, to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. So maybe the heart of the problem isn't that it's just too hard to understand. Maybe the heart of the problem is our, our human heart. If we, if we read it, it might change us a little bit. 
Man, I can't understand it. Other people would say this about the Bible. The reason I don't, I don't read it or memorize it, it's just too hard to memorize. I just can't memorize. Do you know that the average song on the Billboard top charts is somewhere over 300 words? I went and I looked at the, the country music billboards and I found Dan and Shay's song, Speechless. Now, I know y'all ain't never heard it because you don't listen to country music in here, but evidently that's a real song. And, um, and I, I read it and you know what I did? I just took the lyrics and I counted them. There's 332 words in that entire song, one of the top songs. And do you know that in this room, there are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of words and lyrics that have been memorized by those of us sitting here. Now y'all are too young to remember this song, but you know that song, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, I can't get no what? Bunch of pagan people, what do y'all? Music y'all listen, no, yeah. I may, uh, literally, I, I could do that song after song in this place. And what's amazing is, is that what we find value in, we can commit to memory. And inside of your mind, for many of you, are tens of thousands of words and lyrics that are memorized. Yet we come to the word of God and it becomes too much of a struggle. I found the longest verse in the Bible in Esther chapter eight, verse nine. You know how many words it has in it? 78. Longest verse in the Bible. Do you know that the majority of biblical scriptures are just a handful of words long? It's just, it's just too hard at times. It's just too hard to memorize. I thought of this. I found this about an old ancient school in Cairo, Egypt. It's called the University of Al-Azhar. And their, and their entrance exam is nothing like we're going to find here at the University of Tennessee or at Walter State. It's a pretty hard entrance exam. And here's what I found about this ancient school that's been graduating out students for generations and generations. Do you know that every incoming freshman to the University of Al-Azhar in Cairo, Egypt, has to have an entrance exam that, exists, that consists of this. You ready? They have to recite from memory, flawlessly, the Quran. The, the holy book of, of the Muslim people. Now, the size of the Quran is equal in size to the New Testament. It takes three days for them to sit before a panel and for them to the, recite the Quran word for word. And all 20,000 students at the University of Al-Azhar in Cairo, Egypt, have passed that exam. Do you know why? Because it was, it was important to them it was valuable to them. But people say, I just can't understand it. I, I was asked this question one time when overseas on a mission trip. And, and a person asked me, this is a missionary, said, Anthony, if, if you were imprisoned by your faith and there was no copy of the Bible to be found and all you had was a piece of chalk in your prison walls, how much of the walls would go bare because of the scripture you've yet to memorize? And man, I'm gonna tell you, another one of them stinking questions that just kick you in the gut. They kick you in the gut. It's just too hard for us to memorize. So as we tackle this question, man, why this book and why this Bible over the next couple of weeks? Here's what I want us to do just for a moment. I want us to kind of lay aside the excuses. And I want us just to celebrate 
and make central in our times of gathering together and in your heart, in your life, in your family, the very Bible and the very word of God. Matt Chandler says this, this is so good. Um, once again, I need to just, hey mama, can you hold this remote? Cause I'm gonna turn off this TV. I'm gonna mess the whole thing. Oh, please catch. It's my mom, it's my mom right. Yeah, give her a round of applause there. She, she's sober this morning and she should, uh, here, listen to what. So Matt Chandler said, (laughs) oh Lord. Anyway, Matt Chandler said this, if you're not confident in the authority of scripture, you will be a slave to whatever sounds right. You know what? We, We hear statistics all the time about students graduating out of high school and they never come to church. Do you know why? Because they stand in rooms with professors that are far smarter than them and they're won over by who sounds right. And it's time that the church stand. And instead of whitewashing, instead of downplaying the gospel, we stand for the truth of God's word. And we begin to see in our students and our children an understanding and a foundation that is strong that the winds of this world cannot topple over. Because the truth is, if we're not careful, we will be a slave to whatever sounds right. And so, Anthony, what is the, what is the number one apologetic? Well, what do you say when someone comes up to you and says, hey, why do you believe the Bible to be true? Why do you believe the Bible to be the word of God? Why this book over any other book? And I just go back to how we frame this up. Because the Bible is reliable, it is real, it is redemption story, because Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in all of Scripture. And if it is true, then the very book that proclaims its celebration is true. But if the resurrection is not true, then all that is written in that book is a lie. And so this is where it all takes place here have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get there, I wonder this, what did Jesus have to say about the Bible? You ever wonder what Jesus' thoughts were on the Old Testament and the New Testament? What his claims were to be of himself? Well, let's discover that just for a moment. I love what Norman Geisler wrote about, this, wrote about this. He said this in his book, When Skeptics Ask. Jesus spoke of the whole Old Testament in Matthew 22. It's central divisions in Luke chapter 16. It's individual books in Matthew chapter 22. It's event in Matthew 19 and Luke 17. And even it's letters or parts of letters in Matthew chapter 5. And all of which Jesus Jesus spoke in a way of these books and these letters and these words as having divine authority. He called the scriptures the very word of God in John chapter 10. Jesus even goes as far as to affirm the most scrutinized parts of the Old Testament, like the first five books, the Pentateuch of the Bible's authorship being Moses. Man, that has been a hotly debated issue. And yet Jesus comes out and he affirms Moses' authorship in Mark chapter 12. Man, in my schooling time, people say, do you really believe the first five books were written by Moses? Jesus did. Yeah. Jesus was absolutely. He goes on and we find that this, that Jesus also would begin to refer to miracles to which critics would say were not really historical events. He refers to the creation account in Luke chapter 11, the story of Adam and Eve in Matthew 19, Noah and the flood in Matthew chapter 24, Sodom and Gomorrah in Luke chapter 10, and Jonah and the great fish in Matthew chapter 12. Hear me, Jesus undeniably affirms the Old Testament as the very word and message of God. There's no question. Well, what about the New Testament that had yet to be when Jesus had lived and walked on the earth? 
Well, Jesus affirms in John chapter 10. Oh man, I should have put these scriptures up here for you. Watch this in John chapter 10. Jesus would say this, that I and the Father are one. So what we find is Jesus now not only affirms the Old Testament as the word of God, claims to be God, and listen to what he says about the New Testament. In John chapter 14, he says this, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, will teach you, now listen to these words, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. And thus, the New Testament and Jesus affirming the New Testament as the word of God. And so here as we talk about Jesus' resurrection, we need to understand these couple of truths. Number one, that Jesus claimed to be God. And if he was, what he said about the word of God is completely true. We find that Jesus looked to the word of God and said from Old Testament to the very New Testament, this is the very word and the message of God. And so if Jesus truly is God, if the resurrection truly did happen and is undeniable, then we know the very truth of what the word of God to be. Now, here's where we're gonna camp out just for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three through six. Write this down if you would, because when somebody asks me, hey, do you believe the Bible to be truly the word of God? This is the passage I go to. And I wanna share this with you because this is where we end our discussion today on Bible being the word of God. And that is this, watch this, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as first important. So listen, he is setting it up this way. Hey, church, what I'm fixing to tell you is the very foundation of our faith. This is truth and reality as we know it. All things are built upon this. And he says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to scripture. But here's the problem. When you study how Paul writes, this is weird. This part on is different. It doesn't sound like Paul. It doesn't write like Paul. And so what begins to happen is, as you study when Paul was converted, he was saved and placed his faith and trust in Jesus. You look at his writing in Galatians chapter one and understand that he went and met with Peter and James in Jerusalem. And here's what we begin to find right here in the heart of this scripture. That right here on, this is a creed. This didn't come from Paul. This came from the early disciples who went to an empty tomb, who experienced Jesus' death on the cross. And we are finding that this statement right here is somewhere from three to five years, the creed that came directly from the cross. What you're reading right here is the earliest words of scripture and creed in all of the New Testament. And you know what it's about? You know what its foundation is? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The words Paul right here are undeniably a creed, a statement of faith that came from the events of the cross and resurrection. And we are reading its very first words. But the question is, is Jesus a reliable source on the Bible? Is he truly reliable? He's reliable if this statement is true. Listen to how Paul finishes out 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Everybody okay? Now listen, this is a little different. You're learning some stuff today. You might feel like you're a little bit in the classroom, but I promise this, even if you don't absorb it all, 
it's going to wet your palate enough to know that the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, that there's far more to that than just a jingle that there's far more to that. Listen how Paul finishes up this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter five. And after that, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers or sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some who have fallen asleep. And so we have this picture of the resurrection that Jesus is alive and that he's meeting and appearing to people. And what's amazing, and here's what I want you to consider. Is Jesus reliable? Is this creed in 1 Corinthians, is it really reliable? Is what Jesus said about the resurrection and the Bible says about the resurrection, is it reliable? Here's my thing. No one, not the Jews, not the most powerful empire in all the known world at the time could produce Jesus's body or could dissuade his followers, over 500 of which said they saw him after he died. First Corinthians comes within just a couple of decades of this very event. And there was no one who was yet alive that could disprove it. There is no one yet alive that could dissuade it. There was no one who could deny it at the time. Or we wouldn't be meeting as Christians here today. And trust me, the Jewish people and the leaders at that time in the empire of Rome wanted nothing to do with it. And they would have done it if they could invalidate it. The Bible is reliable because it is the very word of God validated by the word himself. I love this in John chapter one, verses one and 14. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Bible is reliable because Jesus and his resurrection are undeniable. And trust me, people have been trying to destroy and discredit the Bible ever since it was compiled together. Ever since the words were first spoken and written down, people have tried to destroy and discredit it. I love what Arthur Pink says. Now this is a whole paragraph. So everybody take a deep breath. Look in here at these big brown beautiful eyes. You ready? Here we go. Listen to what he says, a biblical historian. He says, when we bear in mind the fact that the Bible has been a special object of never-ending persecution, the wonder of the Bible's survival is changed into a miracle. For 2,000 years, man's hatred of the Bible has been persistent, determined, relentless, and murderous. Every possible effort has been made to undermine faith in the inspiration and authority of the Bible. And innumerable enterprises have been undertaken to consign it to oblivion. Emperor edicts have been issued to the effect that every known copy of the Bible should be destroyed. And when this measure failed to exterminate and annihilate God's word, then commands were given that every person found with a copy of the scripture in his or her possession should be put to death. The very fact that the Bible has been so singled out for such relentless persecution causes us to wonder at such a unique phenomenon. Despite all the attention, the Bible remains and always will be the most read book and the greatest selling book of all time. And that is the wonder of the very book you hold. So Anthony, why this book? Why, why the Bible above all things? You see, the Bible is a compilation of 66 books different books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, written over a period of more than 1,500 years, more than 40 different authors from some 14 countries, spanning across three different continents. And I love this, the authors range from shepherds to fishermen, from soldiers to governors to kings. 
And as we understand the word of God, they came from different backgrounds, different cultures, different times in history. And yet we find that together these books comprise the unified, inspired, infallible, and the incredible word and the story of God. There's a lot of faith that goes in to believing the Bible. But there's also a lot of rational, intellectual, and evidentiary truth that backs up the reality of the word of God being reliable because Jesus and his resurrection are undeniable. And I want you to just kind of frame it up this way as you leave today. And to celebrate the word of God, it's central in your life. The Bible is reliable because Jesus' resurrection is undeniable. I want to show this to you as we kind of end up today. And that is this. It's a quote of, of Gandhi. I've quoted him a couple of times because sometimes that dude's just smart. He says some really good things. Listen to what he says. You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down, and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing more than a piece of literature. But we treat it as if it is nothing more than just another book. Why this book? The claims are extraordinary. The story is, is almost unbelievable. But both the claims and the stories upon investigation are undeniable. This book right here is so much fun. Has little to offer what many of us face today. This book, in it contains life, the plan and the story of God's salvation for you and I. In fact, I mean, I just wrote this up just this morning as I was praying through this message and I can read my writing. I, I thought of the Bible and I thought, it's the promises of God, the plan of salvation, the purpose for our lives, the power over sin the presence of the Spirit, and it's all about a place he's prepared for those of us who love him and know him and follow after him. And so my, my entire message today is with this in mind. Well, would, you, would you not only celebrate this morning this incredible miracle, but are, are you ready to make it central to your life? The life of your marriage, the life of your family, are you ready for this to be the lens by which you view culture and not viewing the Bible through the lens of culture? Are you ready? Are you ready to unleash this incredible miracle in your own life, the Word of God? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.